you want to give love to the city, that's a fact. But you're going to need help if you want to make an impact. Well endowed, you want to be well endowed with the Edmonton community. Things really happen when you find that you're well endowed. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Well Endowed Podcast. I'm Andrew Paul. And joining me today is our producer, Lisa Pruden. Hello, I'm back again, just sitting in for Elizabeth while she enjoys a well-earned break. So, this podcast is brought to you by Edmonton Community Foundation, and we are a proud affiliate member of the Alberta Podcast Network. Edmonton is full of generous donors who have created endowment funds at ECF. These funds generate money to support charities in Edmonton and beyond. On this podcast, we share stories about how these funds help strengthen our community, because it's good to be well-endowed. Well, listeners... We've been learning a deeper appreciation for the word Wakotawin. Wakotawin is a Cree word that expresses the interconnected relationships we experience with the people and the environment around us. But it's not just that we're all around sharing the same space and interacting. It is also the recognition of how our actions, individually and together, impact each other and the world around us, and how those changes come to affect us. It's so dynamic. Wakotawin expresses something that is constantly in motion and evolving. It's about how we choose to treat each other, how we interact with where we live, even how we handle our resources. Your choices affect me, my choices affect you, we impact our environment, and our environment has a strong impact on us. And all of this is happening at the same time. All of that is what creates the community we live in, whether we're thinking of our own neighborhoods or more broadly to our territories or even globally. On today's show, we are checking in with our friends at Edmonton's Shift Lab to hear more about one of their latest projects aimed at shifting perspectives to eliminate racism. It's a new board game called Exploring Wakotawin. I sat down with Samir Singh. Yeah, my name is Samir Singh, and I'm one of the stewards of the Edmonton Shift Lab. Rabia Nasir. My name is Rabia Nasir, and I'm their project manager with Shift Lab uh, for the Exploring Wakotawin board game. And James Lamouche. My name is James Lamouche. I am originally from uh, Gruard, Alberta, on Lesser Slave Lake in uh, Treaty 8 territory. Uh, I'm currently working as the Director for Innovation and Research at the Indigenous Knowledge and Wisdom Centre. To find out more. So I was going to perhaps start with you, Sam. Would you mind giving like a little synopsis of what the Shift Lab story has been over the past couple of years? Sure. So the Edmonton Shift Lab is kind of a neat experiment uh, supported by the Edmonton Community Foundation. And we are a social innovation lab that uses uh, techniques and methodologies from the social innovation world to tackle the problem of racism, uh, both here in Edmonton and as it generally exists in Canada. And we do so using different sort of tools and techniques around sense-making and understanding um, motivations and behavior change to better come up with solutions or avenues for making change, whether it's on an individual level or within organizations. Our hope is that we can create interventions, basically, that are now in the prototype stage that can then be uh, rolled out and piloted within communities, within organizations, both here in Edmonton and hopefully across the country. 
a big part of this, of course, has been developing prototypes to uh, enact social change. How have you felt the impact has been with the prototype so far? It's been really positive so far. I think because, especially when people talk about racism, I mean, it tends to be fairly negative and it tends to be a downer for people to discuss, to think about, to reflect upon, and so on. And when people are looking for solutions or looking for ways to do better, um, oftentimes they don't know where to start or they might be afraid to go ask certain questions or they're, they're afraid of the peer pressure or afraid of how they'll look. And so oftentimes we get a lot of frustration at the level of change where people want to see that they want to make a difference and, and they, they want to have a positive impact. So what we're hoping to do with the prototypes is to offer what we call emotional on-ramps to change. So these prototypes are designed to start stimulating or triggering you know, new ideas, new observations, new thoughts of what it's like to live as a racialized person and to understand what uh, it means to be a racialized person or an indigenous person today in 2021. And so we hope the prototypes can make a difference by, you know, rather than sort of um, berating people or um, using, you know, social media forms of, of justice and activism, we hope that these can be physical uh, products that they can actually touch, that they can use, that they can look at and uh, invite, you know, friends and family members to take part in as well. And we're hoping with this a particular approach, we might be able to make some, some deep and significant personal change and societal change. There's a few new prototypes on the horizon. Um, there's the reflection pool. There's, of course, exploring Wakotawin. And there are a few more in the works, right, Sam? Well, there's the anti-racism box, which you've seen. We have an active bystander resource, which um, we are actually continuing to work on because uh, following the incidents of a number of Black Muslim women being harassed and attacked in Edmonton, we wanted to take that resource and move it in a direction where it's of service to that community and, and they're able to give us feedback on it. And then uh, from our first year back in 2017, we have Diversity Certified, which has been supported by both uh, ECF as well as the Alberta Real Estate Foundation. And that is meant to help landlords and uh, tenants for whom uh, there might be cross-cultural issues or cultural misunderstanding issues. And so um, we're excited that that uh, prototype is also starting to get some momentum behind it as well. I've been personally very excited seeing all of these prototypes come out and engaging with them. Um, something that I've learned through this process is, is that it really does take practice to make yourself vulnerable to exploring these ideas and uh, exploring yourself within those ideas. So I've been especially excited about this board game, the Exploring Wakotawin, and I'm really excited that uh, Rabia and James are both here to talk about how that came to be. So I, I'm not sure who would want to go first, but I'm very curious about where the idea for this came from and, and how it came to be developed. Uh, sure, I, I can start a little bit and then James can definitely talk about a lot of the work he's done in terms of content and research. Uh, so the idea came from Chif Lab 2.0. So our, um, there was different teams that were tapping different questions. So the question that was put forward to our team was, um, what does it mean to be you know, a treaty person and how can we better our relationships? So this led us into a journey of thinking, how can we make 
this concept or look at this concept in an engaging way that would be able to help, I guess, people to start to kind of have a knowledge about some of the truths um, that we're not aware of. So that's where the idea of a board game about. And then it was a matter of trying to uh, put together a local team. So we were luckily very um, grateful to have a, an amazing team. Um, James has been you know, phenomenal. Um, the Indigenous Knowledge and Wisdom Center has been our backbone in terms of providing us content, history, um, and we've been able to find uh, local Indigenous graphic designers, you know, our board game designers. So then, you know, developing that team and then coming up with a discussion of, okay, how, what are we going to do in terms of the content and the idea? That's where our journey has started to lead and look at, you know, how to go about that. So I'll let James talk more about, you know, his side. Well, the first the first thing that happened when uh, we were approached by KWC was approached by by Rabia, and the team got together to meet is we decided that trying to gamify the treaty specifically was going to be a way too complicated <laughs> endeavor for the group and the resources that we had. I think it, it would be an interesting thing to try and move forward in the future, but what we hope to do is to provide uh, like some basic historical context for people. So a lot of times uh, people think that the way things are right now is that way because of planning or because somebody made some good decisions. And in a lot of cases, uh, things rolled out in very messy and very chaotic ways. The history of Canada and the history of North America is tied to the treaty process in Canada. And a lot of that happened because of decisions that leadership made to either enter into the treaty or not, or, or to pledge allegiance to the crown, the British crown, which became the government of Canada. And all that historical context, it takes years and years and years to actually get through. And what we're hoping to do with the with the uh, Exploring Wakota Wind game is to give people some background, some background that's in a more usable uh, uh, format that people can engage with without having to go through four years of uh, Canadian history <laughs> at university level. That's fantastic. It still seems like a pretty big feat to be able to put this all into the context of of a game. How did it come together with the mechanics? Do you have some examples of how one moves through the game and, and takes learnings away? Uh, well, the main one, um, the main driver for the game design has been Roberta. And she's been invaluable. Like she, she took some of our initial discussions as a group, as a as an advisory group, and she was the one that came up with the basic format for the board and for the way that the gameplay rolls out. And we've focused on the committee and NIKWC specifically has focused on how to provide the context and the background to that. So, as a player, you are you are representing an in, uh, an individual family that needs to. Uh, survive and thrive throughout the, uh, the course of the year. So at the beginning of the game, your environment is uh, is the, obviously the physical environment, but there's actual, actually the political context of these new group of people coming in, the settlers coming in. And at the beginning, a lot of people don't realize that there were there were decades of interaction in this territory before the treaty process started. So it's not like 
uh, a bunch of people showed up from the government one day and then they said here sign this document right it was decades and decades of trade of interaction of intermarrying like all those kinds of things happened to lead up to the time period of the treaties so the game is focused on roughly around the 1700s late 1700s to the end of the last century that to the end of the 1900s so about 150 ish years of, of history and as a player, you're going through the whole cycle of a year and you need to focus on finding the resources that you need for your health, your spiritual health, your physical health, finding the resources you need to feed and clothe and shelter and everything for your family and finding the resources that you need to engage with your community as well as the, the newcomers that are coming to your territories. And over the course of the game play, every round, uh, something significant changes. So. Uh, we introduced some of the contexts such as the Indian Act coming in, the changes to, to the territories because of encroachment by settlers. So the settlers at the beginning were an opportunity for trade and, and expansion of Indigenous people's political goals and, and desires. Whereas after a certain point in time, they started to have serious impacts on the abilities of our nations to sustain themselves and to take care of themselves and provide their own resources. So one of the major occurrences that happens is the extirpation of the bison, of the buffalo. So uh, it was a, a central organizing principle for a lot of tribes or nations of the plains. It provided food, it provided clothing, it provided a ceremonial, ceremonial supplies, it provided a, a focus and a context for all of their cultures. And what began to happen is the numbers started to drop off because of population pressures from, from out east. But then there was significant and intentional decisions made by varying governments, by the United States government, by the British Crown, by the Canadian governments, to actually engage in wiping out the bison. So to actually take away a significant food source and cultural source for most of the indigenous peoples of the plains. And that impact is we try to show that in, in the game as well through the presence of that resource at the beginning of the game and the slow slow reduction and then eventually just a complete outright removal of that that resource and it's that's a very Coles notes version of the events but all that context can then be introduced in the context of that game instead of having to sit through a lecture and learn all of the players and that those decisions and and all the reasons for it. I was just gonna add on to James' point, but through those events, um, legislation, policy, it really helps um, the players to start to learn and come from a point of empathy. So they start to realize, you know, the, the barriers that indigenous communities face, the loss of resources, how this impacted their community. That, you know, really helps them to understand like indigenous communities, resiliency, you know, the, how those events, legislation impacted. So we start to have a better understanding of building that towards the current context and now how are Indigenous communities, you know, situated. So. This is super cool. Um, sorry, I have two things going in my head right now. And one is absorbing this history and context that's coming and the very game nerd side of me that's like, so how do you win? Which seems really superficial given what we're doing here. But, but how do you win at this game? Or is it like a Monopoly situation where no one is actually winning? Here's James again. Actually, that discussion is exactly what one of the discussions that we had as a group uh, about how 
how do we make this into something that you know that somebody could win and uh we we intentionally made the focus to be more of a collaborative aspect or have the ability to collaborate and to have your decisions uh explore what code to win like to see how your decision is going to impact the other players how it's going to affect your relationship to the government or to the to the settlers or to other nations all of those things is is about the relationships because in history it not everybody was willingly signing on to the treaties by on the first nation side right there was intentional exclusion by the government of the metis there were uh, nations within first nations that did not want to sign treaty under any circumstances and then there were some that grudgingly participated in the process right so all of those were because different different nations, different people have different contexts for, for all the relationships that they have. And even the term Wakotawin in Cree is, is the nounification of relationship, but it actually means more your position or your context with everything in creation. So it's not just my aunties and uncles and cookums and mushums and all those things. It's you as an individual have a relationship to this territory you have a relationship obviously to your family but you also have a relationship to the others the guests in your territory and to the territory itself to the environment to the lands to the waters to the to the animals all of those things and that's a very complicated idea that we're trying to get people to see over the course of the gameplay so the going back to the bison example you have the opportunity at the earlier points in the game to hunt as much bison as you want but People recognize when there's only four people sitting at the table that every bison that we take, I take, means that other people aren't going to have that resource going forward, right? So you could, if you wanted to, you could try, you could try and wipe out the bison on your own if you wanted to, right? Just so that you had the most resources. We're hoping that people don't do that, but it does show what happened in history. Some people made that decision, right? They intentionally, in some cases, wiped out the buffalo for political reasons to to harm the ability and to reduce the ability of First Nations to be self-sufficient and resilient and independent, right? And there's all kinds of contexts in the game or, or examples in the game where your individual um, decision uh, will impact your ability to survive, but also the other player's ability to do that and to access resources. And the short answer to how you win the game is the aspect that we created or that we used is that uh, in the game, there are knowledge cards. So there are things that you gather over the course of your, your, your annual uh, round are things like medicines and foods and shelter, and, but also you learn skills and abilities to, that help you to resist illness, that help you to resist starvation, that provide more shelter for you. And there are things in the game that will remove those cards but there are also things in the game that will replace those cards for you. And the idea was that the, uh, the winners of the game are the ones that retain the most of that knowledge to go forward into the future. So the game is still in development and is at the final round of testing. What has the testing process been like and what's the next step? Sure, definitely. So the testing round actually has been simultaneously being happening. We have been doing many rounds of testing and refining and going back and forth. And James can attest how many times we've gone over, okay, content and gameplay. We have looked at a number of target groups. So we've looked at educators, we've looked at the gaming community, we have talked to different 
uh, non-Indigenous leaders in their communities and looked at their feedback. So we have really specifically targeted in terms of getting specific feedback that we can incorporate. So, um, and with that, we have been creating prototypes. So with COVID, we've had to create prototypes that have been sent out to these focus groups. And initially, we had thought before this, we could have, um, you know, massive areas set up and have people interact and see how they interact with the game and be there as well as a facilitator. But unfortunately, at this point, we haven't been able to create that kind of a setting. So we have been receiving feedback and looking at that. Um, and right now, we're at the point where we're at our final round of testing. So we are sending the uh, prototype out to a couple of gaming organizations um, and getting their feedback. And at the same time, we are designing the prototype as well. So um, now we're looking at creating it to the next level so that we're able to then um, be able to create that, mass, uh, that prototype for massive distribution. So when you get to the stage of mass distribution, like, is this the kind of game that we'd be able to find in a game store or would it be like a special order? What's what's the goal for that? We're exploring that actually at this point. So we um, now we're at that point where we have partnerships um, with the Indigenous Knowledge and Wisdom Center. And then we're also working with the Yellowhead uh, Tribal Educational uh, Foundation as well. So at this point, um, we are talking to a few organizations and finding out what is the best uh, route for that. And uh, applying for grants and funding will also be an important part for us to move to the next phase. As soon as we're able to put all those parts together and move forward, we'll be able to have a better and clearer idea of where the distribution will be moving towards in that direction. Here's Sam again. Yeah, we've had a lot of interest from everyone who's heard about this concept because I think it presents knowledge and history and a better understanding in a way that's very uh, user-friendly. So we've had interest from libraries. Um, we're in talks with the uh, Alberta Teachers Association about potentially having this in some schools. Pay Medaway Games, uh, they're the Indigenous-owned um, board game cafe on 118th Avenue. So they have tested uh, one of the prototypes and we hope to have you know, the final version stocked at that cafe. Potentially, I mean, again, as Rabia mentioned, COVID has obviously disrupted a lot of things. So we can't do a lot of physical activities, but hopefully down the road, we'll be able to have some kind of launch event uh, there or somewhere else. Um, it's something I'm personally going to be looking forward to because I am a bit of a board game nerd. So I'm pumped about this. With the Shift Lab and the prototypes, um, once you've put the prototypes out into the community, is success hard to measure? What, what are some of the outcomes you're hoping to see once this game is, is out? Well, I think we can take some hints from the experience of the anti-racism box because they've been testing and talking to the people who are receiving the box and getting their feedback. And a lot of it um, has been really um, a lot of emotional observations from people who are kind of like saying that, you know, my eyes are opening for the first time or, you know, I'm starting to think about other people uh, in, in a new way um, because of the things I'm, I'm seeing in the box. And so like my hope, and, and I know with my Shift Lab colleagues, the, the other stewards, is that, you know, if one person plays this game and they play it with three friends and then those friends tell other people and it can just ripple out very easily like that. And um, hopefully once the game's finished and we can get it out to the public I'm, and, you know, starting with podcasts like this, I think there will be a lot of interest from media as well 
to share something that, you know, advances anti-racism, but does so in a way that's educational, that's collaborative, which, as James mentioned, is a big highlight of the game. And so we're hoping that this will really spread. And, and I would think that, um, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be restricted just to Treaty 6 territory. That it's possible we could adapt this to other treaty, other number treaty areas as well. There is nothing board game nerds like more than expansion packs. Oh my gosh, we love them. Sorry, Rabia. Oh no, sorry. I was just gonna say, and so we're really looking at this as a long-term approach. Like this would be a multifaceted approach um, that we hope that can complement people's learning and you know in, helps them to engage in further, you know, exploring how can they better their relationships, um, you know, and how can they look at engaging in various ways. So this is, we're hoping would be a part of, you know, sparking that interest and engagement in people. One of the things that for our perspective, from IKWC's uh, perspective is, we want this to be almost the gateway drug for this information. Like a lot of like the vast majority of the people that I know that went to high school or even took a significant amount of university courses have no idea about some of the stuff that we have in this game, like the historical context or the, the Royal Proclamation, the Indian Act, the, the Gradual Enfranchisement Act, like all of these things that we put into this game, you could go through a standard Canadian education and never hear any of it. One of the biggest things against, uh, against racism in general is the eradication of ignorance, right? Like the eradication of not necessarily that people are willfully being mean, they just don't have any idea about some of this information. So a lot of the stereotypes fill that void, right? And so with respect to Indigenous people, they have a lot of stereotypes around the government's always providing all this stuff, free education, tax-free stuff, and you know, all these things to this group of people, and there's no rhyme or reason or justification in their minds. Whereas this, this game provides an opportunity for people to learn how did the current situation come to be, right? And why, like, there are all kinds of unfairnesses and injustices and blind, dumb luck that happened that made the, the current situation exist. And for people that play the game, I'm hoping that they are able to take that and then find out more information themselves. If we can get this into mainstream schools and in a significant number, then I'm hopeful that that will initiate more and deeper discussions in the social studies classes and things like that, that the curriculum isn't necessarily going to be showing people unless they ask for it. I think it's interesting that you talked about how, we're talking about how this is a collaborative game rather than a competitive one. And I think that's kind of a new paradigm shift in the respect of this game, because you, know, you mentioned Monopoly and a lot of these games are kind of based on a very sort of Western centric mode of where you know, your goal is to accumulate the most, whether it's land or money or power or whatnot, and whoever gets the most at the end wins. And this game is not about that at all. Um, you know, as James said, you can hunt down all the buffalo to extermination on, at the beginning, and, but you'll find out that that'll have repercussions for yourself and for others around you. And I think what the beauty of this game, one of the great things about this game is that it attempts to, you know, kind of decenter that Western perspective of just becoming, being first. It, rather, it takes that idea and throws it on its head a little bit to say that um, 
you exist within a community in this game and your actions will affect other people in that community. And it's kind of on you to understand how best to look after yourself and, and your own family in the game, as well as the ones around you. And so we're hoping that this game can kind of start to create some of those conversations that, you know, um, it might just be like a fun exercise, but it doesn't always have to be about competition. It can also be about collaboration and uplifting everyone together. I just I wanted to say one last takeaway is that people actually, um, it motivates them to build uh, meaningful relationships. So while I was, you know, working on this board game, my seven-year-old son, you know, he came up to me and he said to me, you know, um, do I know any Indigenous people, right? So it, it gets you to start thinking about our interactions. Um, when we're not interacting, we're not building meaningful, you know, relationships with Indigenous communities. And when it's just, uh, you know, a performative allyship, when we have projects, we just, you know, look at uh, engaging with Indigenous communities, that's not going to create. And so we're really hoping this board game as well, uh, you know, really helps people to start to reflect on the relationships we're building. So if there's one takeaway, I would say is building relationships is really going to help you to change your stereotypes and perceptions. Yeah, I love that this game has such a focus, as the name suggests it would, on on those relationships with not just the people around you, but the environment around you and the relationships they're in. The very last thing I was going to ask, and, and maybe this is more for you, Sam, was what comes next for Shift Lab? I understand there's a transition coming up for that. Is that something you can talk about? Yeah, there's a bit of a transition. Um... The Shiv Lab was formed as a partnership between the Edmonton Community Foundation and the Skills Society, which is the largest disability rights organization in Alberta. And uh, that partnership is coming to its sort of natural conclusion um, in terms of the funding uh, commitments. And so at the moment, we're not quite sure what's going to happen. Uh, we do know that we want to see these prototypes through, so see them complete, and then hopefully they'll be piloted in you know, by different organizations and by different people. So we want to see the game come out into production. We want to see the anti-racism box go out to subscribers. Um, hopefully Reflection Pool will be an app that can be downloaded someday. And so that's our main focus right now is to just um, finish the work that we've started. And then once that's out in the public and we start to get feedback, we'll, we'll kind of decide what to do next at that point. Uh, how can folks support this? In terms of supporting us, we're looking, if you're interested in being uh, um, someone to test the board game, that would be amazing. Um, in terms of spreading the word, we're just in the process. And as we move towards the launch, we'll be you know, looking for that as well. That's great. Um, is, is there anything else anybody else wanted to say before we close? One point about the Exploring Wakotawin, the title and the relationship and the historical context that we were trying to create or, or uh, teach about in the game. It's also the fact that treaties are not a historical event. Treaties are an ongoing relationship that First Nations, Métis, Inuit, uh, all Indigenous people have a relationship to the settlers, whether those settlers arrived 100 years ago or if they, they're recently arriving. Even that fact, like the treaties itself are specific to a particular group but those relationships are ongoing and will continue into the future. We want to try and teach people a little bit about how some of those relationships came to be. Thanks very much to Samir Singh, Rabia Nasir, and James Lamouche for sharing their time with us. 
We'll be sure to have links to the Shift Labs 2.0 report and to their ongoing work in our show notes. And our show notes will also have links to ECF's blog so you can see even more stories about the amazing donors and organizations doing community work. And of course, that's where you'll find links to all of our upcoming granting deadlines and student awards. Don't miss out on those funding opportunities. Well, that brings us to the end of the show. Thanks so much for sharing your time with us. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, be sure to share it with your friends and your favorite auntie. Ooh, and your coworker and your neighbors. Okay, and... okay. I think they get it. It's, it's everyone. I'm, I'm asking you to share it with everyone you know. And if you do have time, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Those reviews help new listeners find our show. And you can visit us on Facebook where you can share your thoughts and see some pictures. Thanks again for tuning in. We've been your hosts, Andrew Paul. And Lisa Pruden. Until, Until next time. time. The Well Endowed Podcast is produced by Edmonton Community Foundation and is an affiliate member of the Alberta Podcast Network. The show is edited by Lisa Pruden. You can visit our website at thewellendowedpodcast.com. Subscribe to us on iTunes. And follow us on Twitter at the ECF. Our theme music is by Octavo Productions. And as always, don't forget to visit Edmonton Community Foundation at ecfoundation.org. Well Endowed.